Did any of you have an opportunity to see the movie, The Case for Christ? Did any of you see that? A few of you did? Okay, that's great. Well, it's such a good movie, and uh, if you have an opportunity to see it or to get it, or I don't know if you get it on Pure Flix or uh, something like that, or if you want to see about purchasing it and watching it, we might even be able to show it here at the church sometime, but... uh, such a great movie. It's the true story of Lee Strobel, who was a, uh, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, very important newspaper, and uh, he wanted to try to research and disprove the story of Jesus, especially the resurrection. And in doing all of his research, he actually became a believer in Christ and became a... Uh, 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 really uh, one of the great defenders of the faith today. And he wrote, has written several books, but his book called The Case for Christ is the story of his own uh, journey. And, uh, and the reason I mention that is because really Jesus is what Christianity is all about. It's what life is all about. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it in abundance, overflow. And so uh, what we know about Jesus is recorded for us by actual human eyewitnesses of Jesus. In other words, we're not reading about stuff written by somebody who heard something, that they heard something, that heard something about somebody who's heard something. That'd make us a little nervous, wouldn't it? But what we read when we open the Gospels are people writing, having written down, who actually lived with Jesus. They saw him, they knew him, and they knew people who knew him. And so they are writing accounts of his life. Now, they didn't write them down immediately because they actually thought Jesus, when they saw him ascend and go up into heaven, they thought he was going to be coming back real, real soon. And so they kept waiting, and then for a while they began to think, maybe he didn't mean this year or this generation. And so they wrote down their accounts of the life of Jesus. The very first one that was written, most scholars believe, was the gospel of Mark. Mark was a, a, a very close friend of Simon Peter, also a nephew of Barnabas, who was a traveling companion of Paul, and also probably the son of the woman who owned what we call the upper room where Jesus and his disciples met. So he was a an actual observer of the life of Jesus. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it tells a story uh, about a night, the night Jesus was arrested, and how that there was a young man who went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where the disciples were praying with Jesus or waiting with Jesus. And when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, this young man had left the house in such a hurry that he just kind of wrapped a blanket around him. He didn't even get dressed. And the Bible says that when the soldiers 
began to gather people up. And they saw him, and he started running, and somebody grabbed his blanket and yanked it off of him, and he ran home in just his underwear. And almost everybody believes that this was Mark. This was the one telling the story is telling the story about something that happened to him. Now, I tell you that just simply to say this. He is the one who wrote what we call the gospel of Mark. And that's what we've been studying here on Sunday mornings for about a year. And we've been taking our time, okay? And, uh, but Mark opens his gospel by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he lets us know right off the, the very first page, I'm telling you about Jesus who is the Son of God. And then he begins to tell his story in such a way that he says, here's how we knew he was who he said he was. He heals so many people. And he tells us in that first chapter about Jesus healing a man with an unclean spirit. And then how he healed many, many other people. And then he healed a paralyzed man in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he heals a man that had a, a withered hand. And uh, then great crowds of people begin to follow Jesus. And then he tells uh, uh, about some of the teachings of Jesus. And then in chapter 5, how he cast a demon out of a man, or actually a, a, a more than one demon. And then, and then he heals a, a, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and the woman just reached out and touched the tassel on his robe and instantly was healed. And then he goes to the home of a man whose daughter, 12-year-old daughter, had died. And she was lying there, a corpse, just dead. And Jesus told everybody to leave the room except just me and my three closest disciples and the mother and father, and he takes the little girl by the hand, and he said, little girl, get up. And her eyes open, and she sits up, and Jesus helps her stand on the floor. And then Jesus said, now, give her something to eat. She's okay. And Mark is telling about all of these things that happen. And, of course, He's wanting people to say, wow, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he's going somewhere with this. He's actually taking us later to Calvary and to an empty tomb. He's later telling us this Jesus, who we know is God's Son, died on a cross for sinners. And then God raised him from the dead. But before he gets there, he wants to say as much as he can about this is who Jesus is. And so then he tells us that Jesus called disciples. He empowered them. He sent them out. And while they were gone out, then Jesus 
closest friend, a man named John the Baptist, is beheaded. He is put in prison because of his boldness to speak against the sin of the ruler of that day, and his head is severed from his body. And then we come to the passage that I want us to look at today. Jesus said to his disciples, come away. Let's go to a, to a secret place. Let's go to a, to, a, to a quiet place where we can get some rest because they've been so busy. They've just been mobbed almost by people. And, and his disciples have come back and they've said, listen, let me tell you the things that have happened to us. And then, of course, John having been killed, Jesus said, we need to go away and have some rest time. But then Jesus does something. It's the only miracle in all of Jesus' ministry that is recorded for us in all four Gospels, except for the resurrection, of course. But Matthew tells us about a lot of miracles that Jesus did. Mark tells us about a lot of miracles that Jesus did. Luke tells us about a lot of miracles that Jesus did. John only tells us about seven miracles that Jesus did. But all four of the gospel writers record this particular story. And uh, I want you to see it dramatized as well as hearing the scripture read. So, uh, Brad, if you can put that up there. And let's listen to it and watch it. Peter plays the part of Jesus, and though no actor is worthy of such a role, it has been done so that we may understand and benefit from the life of Jesus. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. I love to see the dramatized Bible. I know, like he said at the beginning, this is an actor playing the part, and nobody's really worthy to to play the part of Jesus, but it's good for us to be able to see something like this take place as well as to hear it. Now, this is, as I said, it is an amazing miracle. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And uh, so it must be very important for, uh, for God to want us to hear this story. And the story, of course, is that uh, Jesus and his disciples were just absolutely exhausted. They were worn out. And so they got in a boat, and they were going to go across the upper part of the Sea of Galilee. And as people saw them getting into the boat, they kind of supposed, that's where they're going. By the Sea of Galilee, you can see across it. And so it's not like... Uh, you know, an ocean or something like that. And so the people who saw them getting into the boat said, I think they're going over to the such and such place. And so they began to to go and gathering up other people as they went. Jesus is going over to here. So when Jesus got to the other side, these people had already gathered, and there are thousands of them. We're told there were 5,000 Men besides women and children. So I don't know how many that would be. I don't know if you're talking about 10,000, 15,000, but there were thousands of people, not just, not just 5,000, but 5,000 men and their families. And so Jesus saw these people had compassion on them. And, I mean, you know, so many people would have said, oh, good grief. We came here to rest. We came over here to get away from the crowds. And now, look, let's go somewhere else. But, no, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't think of himself. He saw the multitudes. And the Bible says he had compassion on them because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. That's an interesting phrase to see, like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you, sheep without a shepherd don't know who to follow. Did you know that? They, they'll just stray off. They'll just go everywhere. They have to have a shepherd. They have to have somebody to follow. Sheep are not really, really smart animals. and uh, But not only do they not know who to follow, they don't know what to eat, or even where to eat. And that's the reason that the good shepherd, in Psalm 23, it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Sheep will just wander off into a desert place and die. And then also sheep don't know how to escape danger. They don't have anything to fight with. Have you ever thought about a sheep, how helpless it is? 
You know, uh, a dog can bite. A cat can scratch. A skunk can do something. And, and a cheetah can run, but a sheep, it doesn't have claws or sharp teeth, and it can't run very fast. You ever see a sheep out? And it has to have a shepherd. And Jesus, when he looked out at all the multitude of people, he said, here, here are people, they don't know where to go. They don't, they don't know what to eat. They, and they, they're defenseless. I see them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them. And I, wouldn't you like to know what all he taught them? It must have been something similar to what's in the Sermon on the Mount. This was not a Sermon on the Mount because it was a sermon in the desert. But he taught them. And they listened. And, and he taught until late and some of the people began to say I'm enjoying this but my I'm hungry I mean you know if Baptists stomachs start growling at 1145 you know they'd been there for a good while Jesus teaching them and teaching them and they were enjoying it but then maybe the kids especially were saying is Mr. Al here? Has he got some hot dogs for us? And what, what are we going to eat? And the disciples began to notice the agitation of the people and the hunger of the people. And they said to Jesus, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, it's getting late. And their stomachs may have been growling too. You know, it's getting late. Why don't you send the people home so they can get something to eat? And Jesus said, uh, you feed them. What? Yeah. Hey, guys. Let, let's, let's feed the people here. You feed them. And uh, they said, uh, well, in the first place, we don't really have any food. In the second place, even if we had, even if we went and bought the food, it would take 200 days' wages. That's why the denarii is the wage for a working man for a day. So what is that today? What would be an average working man's wage today? Would it be $100 maybe? So he said, you know, it would, it would cost us $200. That's is that 20,000? Come on, math majors. What? That's $20,000? 2,000 would be 10. Wait, oh, anyway, it cost us a bunch of money. It cost us almost two-thirds of a year's salary to feed these many people. And then we're told in another gospel that one of the disciples said, uh, it was Philip who brought a little boy to Jesus and said, uh, 
this little boy, <laughs> it almost sounds silly. This little boy said you can have his lunch if you're wanting to feed everybody. And, uh, and one of the disciples even said, but, but what is that among so many? And so they, they brought Jesus this little lunch and said, well, well, what do you have? How much do you have? They said, well, we have five loaves and two fish. Now, by the way, loaves doesn't mean, you know, even like the, the big loaf of French bread that you get at Albertsons. And it, it, it's the little flat, round loaves, just like was seen actually in the picture. That's the actual depiction of it. So we have five little, we're told in another place that they were barley loaves, which was the, for, that was what the poorest people ate was barley. It was just barley edible. Uh, but, uh, but it was just, we have five little barley loaves uh, and a couple of sardines, you know. Now they ate the fish just like, they didn't cook them. They just, they just ate them. It sounds nasty, doesn't it? Y'all eat sardines? Yeah, not on purpose. <laughs> I do remember when we were picking cotton in the field, we'd usually get, we'd usually either get uh, Vienna sausages. They're called Red Bird Vienna sausages. And they were like a nickel a can. And that's why we got those. But every once in a while, somebody would bring a can of sardines. It had a little key on it, and you roll that thing, roll it back, and it opened that can. And, man, whenever they'd open that can, I'd move. Because <laughs> those sardines did not taste like something I'd want to eat. But I'd see those people just whooping them down. Oh, man, crackers and sardines. So actually, two of those would have fed a lot of people as far as I was concerned. But, uh, but 5,000 people, and there's five little barley flat cakes and two fish. And you can imagine Philip saying, well, Lord, what are these among so many? But then what happened next was so important, so impressive, so monumental, so mind-blowing that all four of the gospel writers included it in their story. They all remembered this. Jesus took those five little pieces of bread in a basket, perhaps, held them up and prayed, and when he took them down, there were the basket full. And then as he begins to take food out, he said to have the people sit down in rows. In fact, the word that's used there, it says groups, I think, but, uh, but uh, made them sit down in groups on the green grass by fifties and hundreds. But the word for groups is rows. It's, it's the word that would actually be used in a garden where you talked about I have a row of peas and a row of beans. So he had them all seated down. Seated, and then he began to 
to give the disciples bread and said, now, pass it out to the people. And they, I've just tried to imagine what the disciples must have thought. They thought, where's he getting this? And so they'd take a basket and they'd pass it down the row, give it out to everybody, come back, and there's another basket full. And they do that over and over again. And then they come back and, and here are baskets of fish. But there were two fish. And they pass them down. And when they get through, everybody there has had all they wanted. Not just to bite. That would have been a miracle in itself if everybody had just gotten one piece of bread and one fish tail. That would have been a miracle. But the Bible says they were all satisfied. They had plenty. They had all they wanted. And then Jesus said, Now, you 12 men, go pick up what's left. We don't want anything wasted. And so they all take a basket and they come back and they've got 12 baskets of leftovers. And they never forgot that. Would you forget that? <laughs> I don't think I would ever forget that. And, and they said, we saw it with our own eyes. All four of us gospel writers either saw it or, or got the story from somebody who did see it firsthand. And we're reporting it. This was one of the important things that said to us, first of all, Jesus has the power to create. He has the power to create because he actually took a small amount and multiplied it by the act of creation, the same power that said, let there be whatever. And it was. He said, let there be bread. Let there be fish. And he multiplied it and multiplied it. Now somebody, I've had people over the years say, well, well, how did he do that? Well, look, that's the whole point. He did it because he's the son of God. That's the point. When I was in college, I had a professor who was not a believer who said, well, well, I think what happened is that, uh, that everybody there really had brought lunch that day, but everybody was hiding their lunch because they were selfish but when they saw this little boy share his, they all said, oh, isn't that sweet? We ought to share ours too. And so everybody shared their lunch, and that's how everybody was fed. Well, that's not what the Bible says happened. In the first place, I'm not sure everybody would have shared their lunch. And not everybody came packing a lunch because they were running to get to the other side before Jesus could get there. They didn't have time to run by uh, uh, subway and get a lunch and uh, and then 
had another professor who said, or it was the same professor, he said it may be that Jesus actually had, was kind of backed up to the mouth of a cave. And in that cave, he had stashed $220,000 worth of bread and fish. And so he's putting his hand behind him and he's, you know, pulling stuff around. I say, wouldn't it be easier to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has the power to do what is beyond explanation? And we don't, you know, that's the thing about a miracle. What makes it a miracle is that it's a miracle. It there is no explanation for it. It's something that happens that there is no scientific, sociological, psychological, or natural explanation for. Jesus took five little flat barley cakes and two fish and fed maybe 20,000 people with 12 baskets left over. So what's the point of it? Well, there's at least three things that I see. Number one, Jesus is who he says he is. He does things like this as a way of saying, I'm God. I'm not a carpenter from Nazareth. I'm not just an itinerant preacher. I'm God. I can heal the sick, raise the dead, and multiply bread and fish. That's who I am. But another thing that it says to me is that Jesus really does care for people. He did not have to do what he did. He could have followed the advice of the disciples. He could have said, look, folks, it's been fun. I've enjoyed teaching this to you, but now everybody needs to go home and eat. He could have done that. Nobody would have thought anything about it. But he said, I want to feed those who are hungry. And I'm telling you today, that same Jesus looks at your spiritual need in your soul, in your spirit, and he says, I want to be to you the bread of life. I want you to feed on me. I want to meet that gnawing hunger inside of you that makes you ask questions like, what can I do about my sin and about my guilt and about my shame? How can I be satisfied? What can I do about my weakness? What can I do about my temptations? What can I do about my sin? And he says, I want you to be fed and satisfied. And you say, what can I do about my anxiety, about my fear? He says, feed on me. I am the bread of life. That's what he said through to, in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. And 
feed on me. And he looks at us today and he says, what are you hungering for? What do you really need? And I think it's significant that he didn't give them chicken fried steak and hot rolls with butter and honey and mashed potatoes with gravy. You know what I'm hungry for, don't you? But why did he just give them barley loaves and, I start to say, stinking fish? But, I mean, I guess they weren't stinking to them. Why did he just give them barley loaves and fish? Because that is what they needed. That's what they really needed. And... In our culture today, we have lots of preaching and teaching on radio, television, everything that kind of makes it sound like if you just trust God, He'll give you everything you want. He'll give you chicken fried steak instead of barley bread and fish. No, Jesus said, look, I want to feed you with what is necessary with what is necessary. And there is time for you to have every possible dream to come true. That's called heaven. But in this life, you will have tribulation or trouble or struggles or difficulty. Jesus did not come to take away all of our problems. And he fed these people knowing that they would need to eat again tomorrow. And Jesus says to you today, I offer to you the bread of life that if you feed on me, you will be satisfied. You will have enough, enough if you feed on me. And my takeaway from this passage this week has been, Lord Jesus, I want to be satisfied with you. I want to be able to sing a song we used to sing years ago. I am satisfied with Jesus. He is enough for me. And somebody said, you never really know whether Jesus is enough until Jesus is all that you have. And when you have him and can say, I am content, I'm satisfied with Jesus, you'll understand the message of this. So the message, Jesus is God. He, he is who he said he was. He's able to create. He's able to, to, uh, to do what only God can do. But he cares for you and for me. And he says, I want you to be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
they shall be filled, satisfied. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful story that all four gospel writers tell us about. It must have been a day that they would remember to the very dying moment of their life that day when you demonstrated that you were God by feeding a multitude of people with a basket lunch. And I pray that the lesson of it, the message of it, will resound in our heart today. Lord, deliver us from trying to figure it out, from trying to to explain it away, and help us to say, the Jesus that I trust and love is God, and he is able to meet the needs of my own life and to fill me to satisfaction with himself as the bread of life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us, and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.